right now. <laughs> uh, and I want to apologize on your papers, your notes. It is real small and compact. I was trying to get five pages of notes on your two pages there and, and things. But what I entitled this message is a radical prayer. And what it was was a, a prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 when he prays for his disciples and you. I want you to understand this. When he prays this, and we'll see this after, did you have actually realize Jesus prayed for you personally before you, he left this earth? And we'll see that here in a second. But that Jesus prays this for his disciples and all those who would come to believe in the future. And we, I, I've read this, his prayer so many times, but this week in dealing what we've been dealing with in Ephesians made me look at it in a different way. Have you, have you ever sometimes looked at something and all of a sudden you had an aha moment? Like, oh, now I understand. I haven't understood this all these times, but now I understand. So the, what I called this was a radical prayer that Jesus prayed because sometimes uh, if you look at the definition of radical, what I put here, it says radical means that there's many definitions of it, but the one I'm looking for is meaning far beyond the normal. It's not normal what you normally think. And it says a person <coughs> who has radical ideas or opinions. And that's what I was thinking about, that it's not what you normally think of. It's not what everybody grabs, but it's a rad totally unforeseen for us. And I was thinking about, you know, uh, radical ideas that people have in life. And I was, I was thinking <coughs> about, anybody ever heard of this company? Now, when the first time I heard of them, it was on, this is how old it was, 2020, probably in the 1990s. And I said, after I listened to the idea of this company and uh, all the things, I said, surely this won't work. And uh, I think they're called Amazon. Anybody's familiar with Amazon? Anybody ever ordered from Amazon? No. <laughs> let's say, let's say it, it's okay. You, I order from Amazon every week. I almost want to go out and apologize to the mail lady and say, I'm sorry I'm making you work so hard to always bring in Amazon packages here. Uh, how many of you have ordered from Amazon? Okay. Look, so many. But in the 19, it was 1994, this guy came out with the idea of Amazon. He was, the internet, again, this is how young things, things are. Just in 1994, a little over 20 years ago, the internet was just starting out. And this guy, uh, I forget his name, that started Amazon had an idea in 1994. He says, I'm going to sell stuff online because this is really starting to go. And that's when I seen the uh, 2020 done a thing like it was, who's this guy and what is he doing with this Amazon stuff? And he says, well, I got this idea that people could shop online. And I'm saying, shop online? Are you crazy? I will, famous last words, I will never buy something online from a picture. I want to go to a store, put my hands on the item, look at the item and all these things. Plus, I will never put my credit card number online for people to steal it. We would never do that. Right? There's no way this company's going to be successful. And, and even at that time, I remember them making a statement that at that time, all that he invested in, that every time he had a sale, he was still losing money. 
on every sale he had. He said, this guy's going to be bankrupt in a couple of years. But how many of you know his radical idea that most human beings couldn't grab hold of is a 60 billion, would it be, 60 billion dollar a year business. He employs 97,000 people. With this radical idea that Scott Jeremy said, I wouldn't invest anything in that. But this is a this is another human being coming up with a radical idea. And just because we don't understand it or don't see it, but guess what? When, now I got the vision of Amazon. I love Amazon. <laughs> Look, I, I'll gladly shop online instead of driving to home and go get something. I, I'll shop online and, and get it uh, delivered to my house in two days. And then you say, you know, the credit card. Do you realize once you start thinking about it, that when you go to a restaurant and you give that person that credit card and they go to the back, you know how easy, how much information you gave them that they could steal that? We think that on the internet, Sunday, they could write down the whole credit card number. They could write down the security code on the back. They could write down the expiration date of the card, your name, the way it's written on the card. They have everything to just go online and now look where, where's your billing address. And they got it and they could start placing orders. You see, you, you, was that, yeah, routing them. Yeah, it has all that check, you're routing them, all these things. So it's no, uns in the beginning it was like there was no way because that would be so unsafe. But we do it all the time. And how many of you know now many of us has caught his vision of Amazon? And I don't know what I'd do without Amazon these days. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, and, and again, he still didn't stop yet. And again, I'm not buying into his next vision. I don't see it happening. But they're thinking that in the future, instead of packages coming in a couple of days, and they've already started in some areas of actually same-day delivery right near, but they're talking about having a bunch of drones. You know those little drones? You're going to order right now, and a drone's going to show up in your yard and drop the package probably that day. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm still, I'm not buying into that part yet. That's too radical for me. I think about we're going to have thousands of drones flying all over the place. You're going to walk outside and it's going to sound like a swarm of mosquitoes going around. And the Cajun in me, you know, I was thinking the Cajun in me is going to say, boy, this would make good duck hunting practice. <laughs> Shoot those drones out of the sky. <laughs> so a radical idea. A radical idea. Radical ideas happen all the time. And Jesus had a, and God, listen, if a man's mind could come up with something so radical that we can't grab onto, but yet it's a great success, think how much more of a radical idea God could have that your human mind can't comprehend and grab hold to. And I, that's what I want to talk about today is a radical prayer that Jesus prayed. And let me just share with you before. <coughs> Uh, uh, from Ephesians, how this all came to be. We've been studying Ephesians chapter 5, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, this, one, this one's not in the computer, Nathaniel, says to be imitators of God. 
It tells us to be imitators of God, to live a life like God the one. And then it, it goes on to talk about three things we've been studying. The first thing it said was to live, be imitators of God in love, to be an imitator of God in holiness and being sanctified, a special purpose in life. life. And the third thing, which we just finished studying, was about being like God in light. We are the light of the world. And I was going to... Uh, uh, I didn't do the example that I done that Wednesday night here because it's light outside. But what I, I done on a Wednesday night, I said, we are to be the light of the world. And I brought a little bitty flashlight. And I had them turn off all the lights in here, and it was night outside, so it was pitch black in here. And I turned that one little light on. And I told them, you know, sometimes we think, what difference can we make in this world for God? And I turned that little light on, and it was just shining on me. But when, wherever I walked, it shined light. It brought light to that person, wherever I was. So this big room of darkness, my little light could bring light to wherever I went. It brought light to that darkness. And you see, dark, all darkness is is the absence of light. So the God inside of us, the Holy Spirit, we are the light of the world. Wherever we go, you bring light to that dark situation. So that's what we began talking about in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 last week. This Wednesday night we studied this. This will be up on the screen and it's there later. It said this, and this is where it got me on this thought for this week. It says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, and hold it here, uh, Nathaniel, but as wise. Where does all wisdom come from? God. So when he's saying live as wise and not unwise, we, we talked about this. The unwise meaning a selfish life. What you want and missing out what God wants. Live a, uh, not to be unwise, but to live as wise. And then the verse 16 that goes with this says, Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, what he's talking about there of making the most of every opportunity, which I'll kind of discuss maybe a little bit later, is a, it was not about time management and trying to get as much as you can. In other words, he's saying you live in such a busy world that you're going to miss the opportunity to share your light with this world, the reason you are still here. So let's go to this uh, prayer in John chapter 17, verses 15 through 23. <clears throat> and that's just to get you thinking on, on this part here. So Jesus, you have to understand, he had just, verses before, he's talking about how the world has rejected him. And then notice what he says here. Verse 15 is Jesus praying, it says what? My prayer, circle that. Then notice uh, he's praying for his disciples that are with him at the moment. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world. Think about that. The world he, Jesus came down to save them from, this corrupt, wicked, broken world. Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of it. Right? Think about that. You know, sometimes when we become Christians, people want to hide away from everybody and everything and, 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 and their own little protection. But guess what? You were saved to share God's light, to bring God's light. 
to others. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. There's three points I wanted to show you in his prayer. But that you protect them from what? The evil one. He says, Jesus begins to say, now they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And verse 17 says, sanctify them, which means uh, make a set apart for a specific purpose, set apart for a holy purpose. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth, and everyone knows Jesus is the, is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He says, and as, as you sent me, now notice this right here. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them. For I sanctify myself, I, I was set apart for a specific purpose that they too may be truly sanctified. He died, suffered for us that we could be sanctified. And he, then he says, here's the prayer for you, which is included of what he just prayed for those disciples. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. It's not for these believers here right now only. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also that those who will believe in me through their message. Do you understand that if you're a believer today, is you're a believer because Jesus prayed to leave those men in this, this broken world so they could share the truth of the gospel where it would be passed down from generation to generation to generation so you were able to hear the truth of the gospel? If Jesus would have said, Father, take all my disciples home right now, guess what? Everyone born after that would have never heard the truth. My prayer is not for them alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, which is us, each and every one of us. <coughs> and then he says, uh, what verse am I? Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, and here's one of the purposes we're going to talk about, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And he says at verse 23, I in them and you in me, uh, may they be brought in complete unity. And the purpose of that is to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Think about what he's saying there. Think about this radical plan that God has that doesn't make any sense to me. Is that he's going to leave his plan of salvation in the hands of men. I always think about that. God, well, God, why don't you just split open the sky and show yourself to the world, and surely they would believe. But God had a radical plan that we need to get a hold of, that he left it up to you, to me, to reach this world. This is such a radical prayer he pr prayed. Don't take them out, but leave them in. Leave them in the place that I've come to uh, bring salvation to them. This corrupt and broken place. Leave them in here because they too need to reach those that are lost in the future. 
Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 18, 12 through 14 says this. What do you think, if a, Jesus is speaking again, if, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep? And this, is, this kind of ties into this right here. If a man called, uh, owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one who wandered off? Do you see the passion of the father, uh, of the shepherd, that his, is that none be left unknown? That's why God left you here, because he doesn't want none to be left. He wants us to share the message, to find that one. He says, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about the one than about the 99 that did not wander off. Can I tell you something with that statement? God's purpose in life is not to make you happy. God's purpose to have you here is not for him to run around and do everything you wish and pray for. He is happier about the one that is found than the 99 that have been found already. It's all about the one that is lost. God's whole focus of why he left people here once they're saved, that you don't get raptured up right away, is that you, someone has brought the light to you, now you bring the light to someone else. Verse 14 says, In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. He cares about them all. He cares about every, if you want to say, pabon on the bayou. I was one of them. We all, can I tell you something? We all were. We all fall short of the glory of God. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. There you go, Sister Hazel. Sister Hazel, my amen corner right there. Amen. So let, let's look at this very familiar scripture, John 3, 16 and 17. And I added in the parentheses some words there for you. It says, for God so, and this is the key word, loved. God is a loving God. When in Ephesians chapter 5, when it says be imitators of God, the first thing it talks about is being loved. God is love and loving the way God loves. It, it says this. He, uh, so God so loved the world, he is loving uh, that he gave, he is a giving God, his one and only son that, and uh, look at this part, whoever believes, and I put the word searching there, that whoever believes, it's like he's searching for the one, the 99 are saved, but the one that's lost, he's always searching for whoever believes, in him, in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, for God, <coughs> excuse me, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world. Amen. And sometimes we, we miss that part that Jesus is here just to save the world. And so many times people want to do right now is just judge and jump all over people, but they're not witnessing to people. They're not loving them, okay, and trying to bring them to the Lord. They're, they're actually condemning them out of what I call it self-judgment, that you don't even realize how much grace and mercy you need in your life, that you could call somebody out. 
We don't approve of sin. Now let me say that. We don't approve of any kind of sin. We don't approve of sin in our own life. And we all sin each and every day. We, you know, compared to a holy God, none of us are perfect. You know, we, we all have issues. That's why we needed a Savior. <coughs> but three things here quickly what Jesus prayed for in this radical prayer. And, and he shows us, number one, is that we, we have one enemy. This is what we need to become aware of. We have one enemy. <coughs> we have one enemy. Notice John seventeen fifteen, which is the very beginning of it. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you do what? Protect them from the evil one. The evil one is saying that you protect them from the evil one. So I want to let you know and give you hope that although God left you here, he didn't leave you unprotected. Jesus prayed for you way back then to help protect you from the evil one, all right? So we, we know we have one enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, I need to speed up here, says, uh, be self-controlled and alert. And here's, here's your enemy. Your enemy, the devil. Now, let's say that again. Your enemy, the devil. How many of you remember in school when every once in a while you had an open book test, they called it? Huh? Wasn't that the greatest test of all? You got to look in your notes. And if you didn't make an A in that, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you just try. So here's an open book test. Let's look at this right here. Who's your enemy? Who? It's not the next door neighbor? It's not the person that's talking about you? No, it's the devil. So notice what it says. It says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I want to let you know, verse 9 there, that if, if you're not careful, you'll get so consumed with what you're going through that you don't realize what other people are going through. Everybody's going through something. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs love. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it tells us again, but against rulers and authorities, powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So noticing what these two things are telling us here, these things are telling us, make sure you're fighting the right battle. You hear me? Make sure you're fighting the right battle. We have one enemy. Matthew 12, 24 through 26 says this. But when the Pharisees heard this, they, uh, again, Jesus was praying for about all of them being one. He says, uh, the princes of demons that follows drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus had cast out a demon and they said, oh, well, this is the work of Satan. And Jesus tells them this. Every kingdom divided of, against itself will be ruined. Every city, a household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And that's what I want you to know, that all Satan wants to do is get the body fighting against the body. That's all he wants. Because if the body fights the body, then that kingdom will not advance. So that, where he was praying that, that it is as one. And, and let me tell you how he does it. Ooh, I'm running out of time. 
What he does is he's like that. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you know a person right now. But that person will go up to this person, boy, oh, I can't believe they've done that to you. Oh, that's so terrible. Uh, you know what they said about you? Then they leave and they go to the person they would just, oh, I can't believe that. And they stir that pot. They stir that. Th- that's what the enemy does. He, he wants the, the body to fight each other. He, he, stirred, he, he's a, he, he stirs that pot. But the Bible tells us we have one enemy. And that's who it is. And that's what Jesus was praying. Then the second thing is, you have to understand we have one purpose. We have one purpose. (coughs) We look a little further down in Jesus' prayer, verses 20 through 21. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. And then again, you remember, this is us he's talking about, that how many of them? All of them may be one. Why is he praying that all of them be one? Because he knew that we wouldn't be. He knows how the enemy works, and he's praying against the enemy that God's people could all be one. And he says that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be, and listen, and this is why, may they also be in us, and here's the one purpose that we serve, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that the world may believe that the Father has sent the Son to die on the cross. You see, whenever the main thing cease to be the main thing, we're in trouble. We have to keep what Jesus prayed, is, which we miss, because it's such a radical plan, you know, uh, we, kinda, we get saved and we kind of just live our own lives not realizing that he left you here for a purpose and a mission, and that is to share the word. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this, and this is what we're talking about. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, and not being wise, what God wants you to do, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And notice it says opportunity, and this is not time management. I used the example Sunday, uh, Wednesday night about the Good Samaritan. Remember the priest? Passed by, didn't see the, seen the guy. But uh, listen, the priest and the Levite, the two that walked by the guy that was robbed, it doesn't say what they were on their way to do. That, and I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They may have been very busy. And man, I, I don't have time. I got to get, we got this, all this stuff to do. My life is so busy that I'm always so busy that they missed the opportunity to minister to someone in need. And the good Samaritan came by. He had things to do, but he stopped, and he noticed the opportunity. And that's what that scripture is telling us. Uh, uh, therefore, do not be foolish. Uh, wait, go back. Uh, go back one uh, verse. Making the most of every opportunity. How many of us are so busy in our lives that every day we walk by an opportunity, and let it go. 
Think about that. How many opportunities are missed by God's people to share the word, to minister to somebody? Because we're in too much of a hurry. I got so much going on. And that's what that scriptures tell us. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, I shared with him uh, Wednesday night uh, how I, I, I always, the first person I ever witnessed to was my mama Sophia. And uh, it's not long after I got saved and I didn't, I was so nervous to go talk to her about it. And I don't know why God just had put it on my heart. And I went and she accepted the Lord that day. And then at her funeral, it brought back to my mind, what if I would have been too busy that day? What if I would have been too busy or gave, given into my fear and not went present the gospel to her? How could I live with myself? Make the most of every opportunity. Let, let's go on. Number three, the third thing is, which is the great commandment that we, he's talking about, about love. And notice love is throughout all this. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. The teacher, teacher uh, he says, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, was that word? Love. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The first is, and the, is like the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. And there's that word again. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Let's look at this love. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God in love. Let's look quickly. I need you to understand that love is the most important thing in life. Now, I filled in these blanks for you because I knew we'd be running out of time. Love is the most important thing in life. 1 Corinthians 1.4 says this, let love be your highest goal. That's the New Living Translation of that one. Uh, NIV simply said, follow the way of love. And follow the way of love being an imitator of God. How many of you know that God's love compelled him to give? God's love compelled him to sacrifice? God's love is the one that searches out the one once he's found the 99. The most important thing is love. Uh, Galatians 5.14 says, The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me pause here for a second. If you go back and read the Good Samaritan, it was an expert in the law that Jesus was talking to. And Jesus asked them, what does the law say? And he says to love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus gave him the story of the Good Samaritan. He said, what Jesus was basically telling him, you know what the law says, but you're not living it. That is not living the life of wisdom. He says, you know what you're supposed to do, but you're not doing it. Letter B, love needs to be my primary ob objective in life. Now notice these verses, all about love, what, what it tells you. And again, it talks, all this in, in Corinthians here is talking about spiritual gifts, but he keeps referring back to love. 
And watch what he says about love compared to this. If I don't live a life of love, nothing I say will matter. Think about that. 1 Corinthians 1, 13, uh, uh, 1 says, If I could speak in languages of earth and of angels, and speaking in tongues, all these things, but notice what it says, but didn't love others. He says, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's telling you the most important thing, above all other spiritual gifts and everything else, if you don't have love, you're nothing but making noise. See, that expert in the law knew what the law says, but he did not love his neighbor to minister to. So in other words, words without love are worthless. Think about it. Words without love are worthless. The good Samaritan helped the man, but uh, the teacher of the law and what he was talking to says, well, I could quote all the words, but he was going to leave the man in the ditch to bleed and die. Number two, if I don't live a life of love, everything I know is worth nothing. Think about that. Everything I know is worth nothing. 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 2 says, If I have the gift of prophecy, I may understand all the secret things of God and, and have all knowledge, and I may uh, have faith so great that I can move mountains. But notice what this says. But even with all these things, if I do not have love, then I am nothing. So I can have understanding, I can have knowledge, and I can have faith, but without love, it equals a big zero. Number three, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I give will matter. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, and there it says it again, but have not love, I gain nothing. Because giving is not necessarily loving. I can give without loving, but guess what? I can't love without giving because love compels me to give. God so loved the world that he was compelled to give his son. Number four, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I accomplish will matter. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give everything I own to the poor and uh, even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I have gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. That's from the message translation. So I want you to understand, relationships are more important than accomplishments. Make the most of every opportunity. Relationships are more important than accomplishments. God wants you to pause and minister and reach that person. So we'll close with uh, 
No, we got one more. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Again, message translation. I, I love the way it says here. Love never gives up. Love, listen to this. Love cares more for others than for self. Think about that. Love cares more for others than self. Jesus died on the cross because of his love for us and his love for the Father. He cared more for his Father's will and our salvation than he did for his own body. Love does not want what it doesn't have. Love does not strut, walk around proud, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't rebel and reveal when others grovel, revel when others grovel. It takes or takes pleasure in uh, it, love takes pleasure in uh, flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. It doesn't say love approves of everything. It says it put uh, that willing to work. How many of you know that God has to put still put up with a lot of stuff in our lives? Love always trusts God, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps on going to the end. I want you to understand, love is the greatest power in life. It's God's love toward you. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Ephesians 5, 2, back where we were studying, says, Live a life filled with what? Love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma to God. What a radical idea and prayer God has. That he entrusted the greatest message in the world to you, to me. Help us walk. Amen. God, help us to realize what, what you've entrusted in our care. And before we close in prayer, I'm going to let you know that I want each and every one of you to come up after a while and get one of these. This is a track that goes through the whole salvation process. We've got a prayer on it for someone to accept the Lord as their Savior. So you don't even have an excuse to say, well, I don't know enough of the Bible. All you got to do is hand somebody this. Can I say something right now?